All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mark Soto, and welcome to Honor Radio. I am the host here for our podcast, and uh, we're we've been doing something special in honor of Veterans Day. Uh, last week, we had an amazing guest with Gretchen Catherwood, who talked about her uh, history of being a Gold Star mom and uh, the opening of an amazing retreat for military veterans called Dark Horse Lodge. And today, we've got a very special guest by the name of Jordan Stevenson. Jordan is... Hey. <laughs> Jordan's a great friend. We've known him for several years, many years, actually. And uh, he is a retired U.S. Army soldier, explosive ordnance oh, device. I got to correct you. Okay. I'm Navy. Oh, a I'm a Navy. sailor. Oh, okay. Gosh, how did I get U.S. Army? My goodness. I was deployed. I was deployed with the Army. You're deployed with the Army. Okay. Forgive me, buddy. I, right. I read your book That's from okay. cover to cover. I get, I get that constantly, so... Thanks for clarifying that. Oh my God. We already got a Muttley laugh. Anyways, he's right. I, you got to know this guy's story, guys. He's a wounded veteran, public speaker, coach for young adults, and he's a proud dad. He also is a thriving example of what's possible, even when up against insurmountable odds. And you're going to hear his story. He's the author of a book that just came out. My wife got it for me because she knew that I loved Jordan. Um, let me see if you can see it. it's called Unstoppable. Hey. Unstoppable. The Power of Never Giving Up. And this man's story, listen, guys, these next 45 minutes are going to blow your mind. Jordan, it's an honor to have you on this podcast. Uh, I'm 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 honored, and likewise, I'm, I appreciate the time to to get to come on and talk with you guys, and I appreciate what you're doing, kind of spotlighting people like me, and I'm I'm willing, I'm I'm glad that I can help where I can and do what I can. We, uh, your story is extremely powerful, and I want the people to hear your story. Let me tell you, let me set it up this way, and then we'll let Jordan talk more about it. Um, the book is about his injury, uh, what happened to him while he was deployed uh jordan suffered a headshot uh he'll he'll describe a little bit more about what happened but he was shot quite literally he was shot in the head um and you know let's let's just go back in time buddy describe (laughs) that day you did such a great job in your book describing the setup of that day what happened that day but you know bring us back and and tell us a little bit about what you remember of that day i guess to set up that day i almost feel like i have to go back a little bit mm-hmm. before i get to the day mm-hmm. and that i spent my whole life wanting to do this that was my my dream as a kid was to go be a special forces and and go fight in the war and then especially after 9 11 happened i feel like i needed to be a part of it mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> And then, so I, I, my whole life is built up to this moment to deploy to Afghanistan. I get assigned to the 75th Ranger Battalion, uh, Bravo Company, and I go to Sharana, Afghanistan uh, in December. In December, it's a lot colder than, than the desert you would think of when you think about Afghanistan. It's in the negatives every night, and we only operate at night. But So I built up my whole life to go do this, and I, I'm there. It's my eighth day in Afghanistan getting to do the job that I – I jumped about doing and 
And then we finally got to go on that operation that night. And it was my eighth night there, but it was also my eighth operation because we'd gone out every single night we've been there so far. And it was going out to the tarmac to get lifted up with the Chinooks. It was negative 30 when we looked at the thermometer on the tarmac. It was negative 30 degrees that night. So it was pretty cold. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it was, I, I explained in the book, it was the type of cold that like you feel in your soul. Like not mm-hmm. just your fingers are cold, but you feel it like in your whole body feels cold. Yeah. Like that lasting cold. Where if hell is hot, I welcome the heat. <laughs> so, uh, and I remember my boys telling me stories about how cold it got in, in Afghanistan, in that part of the world. It was just crazy. And the rains and in the mud and all that other stuff and surprisingly uh, cold yeah surprisingly and a ton cold. of snow and so what was it like three or four feet of snow it was a cold evening you were going on a mission you were going on a mission and yes. uh the mission was to do what uh we were going after what we called hvts which are high value targets mm-hmm how the U.S. military finds HVTs is over my, it's out of my pay grade over my head. But our job was to go and find a specific person, capture them and bring them back to base for questioning and interrogation or whatever reasons there was. I, I, I that's again, like I said, it's over my pay grade. I don't know. I don't know enough about what he did or why we were going after this guy, but I knew that we had a target that we were going after that night. That was our mission was to go after these high value priority targets. And because you were EOD, right? They, you, you were the first, you guys landed the Chinook. You got, um, acclimated as much as you could in that cold. And then you were going to be the first guy to the wall. It was a compound that you guys were going, uh, to, um, basically capture this guy at, you had no idea what was on the other side of that wall, right? So your job was to. Uh, put a ladder up and then climb that ladder to check for well, explosive devices or what was the job of your mission? So my job, what I was tasked with being the bomb guy is they want And what people don't understand is we have fences in, in, in the, in the States, we have fences around our backyards and our homes typically mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. They have these big walls. That's what surrounded their homes. That's what protected their homes. Mm-hmm. So there was this huge, almost near 30 foot wall that was surrounding this compound in this home. And within the, was so we didn't know, we knew what was inside the compound, but we didn't know who was in the compound and what could have been moved in the compound. We knew that there were vehicles mm-hmm. inside of the compound and inside of the walls. That's where they parked their cars. So me being the bomb guy, they wanted me to get eyes on inside of the compound before our boys moved in. So I tasked, I was tasked to go up the wall, like you said, up the ladder up to the top of the, of the wall to get eyes on those vehicles. If one vehicle is weighted really heavy to one side or the other, then me as the bomb guy, I know, okay, there's something inside of that vehicle for me to be worried about, to tell my team about. So then maybe I have to go in and, and open up the vehicle and figure out what's inside of that first. Or we just blow it up. Who knows what we would have done. I didn't get the opportunity to get that far. But so I was tasked to check the vehicles, to get eyes on those vehicles to see if it was safe for my boys to move in. And the last thing I remember that night was radioing, using my radio on my shoulder to, to radio to my team that the vehicles appeared clear. And then that's, that's the last thing I remember from that night. Okay. So and then the target came out and, and 
attacked me. Okay, so did you uh, do you remember seeing this person coming out with a gun or notice anybody, or was it just completely they spotted you and you were surprised? It was not only was it as Cole you said acclimating to it, mm-hmm. acclimating to the cold. I feel like we did on the aircraft and and our on our transport, mm-hmm. but it's so dark there and it's it's way up in the mountains. There's no light pollution like we have in the states. It's pitch black. It's in the dead of the night, probably around two, three in the morning. So I, I'll, and all I have is my little scope of night vision on my face that I can see out of. So mm-hmm. I don't have my peripheral vision to pick up movement. So I, I never saw the guy come out. I never saw anything. I, my, I was so focused on the vehicles that I feel like I almost, that's where I may have made a mistake as I, I stuck my head too far over the wall and I may have silhouetted myself with the moon behind me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could probably dissect this a million ways from Sunday, but I, I, I did not see, I, I was not able to see them coming out. So ladies and gentlemen, let me give you perspective. All right. He climbs a wall. He's on a ladder. He's surveying the area. And literally that's all he remembers because it was at that time that a, um, someone fired a weapon at him, a terrorist, uh, uh, somebody that was guarding the compound, who knows, um, fired a weapon at him and it was a single gunshot to the head. Um, the medic, the way the book is written, unstoppable. And I just got to tell you guys, get this book. It is, it'll, it'll have you on the edge of the seat, but the medic, he had the medic write what he remembered from the it's the book is chaptered in ways where people tell his story after he gets shot because you know he was basically in a coma for for many weeks and uh they describe what happened to jordan and it's it's just an amazing read but your medic robert marino he writes in the book about what he recalls from that um, how did you get these guys to, to contribute? Did you, have you kept in touch with them over the years? What, what was, what led to that Jordan? Uh, I've, his name is Robert Moreno was my medic. Mm-hmm. And what he did for me was, is amazing. It's a miracle all among itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that single bullet was an AK 47, seven, six, two. And everyone always asked me about my helmet. I, I still have my helmet. My team brought my helmet back for me. And there's a little tiny hole in the front where the bullet went in and a big hole out of the back of the helmet where the bullet exited after it went through my head. So that single bullet went all the way through my helmet, through my head and out through the back of my helmet. So it went all the way through me and I still have that helmet. So when I go speak, like you mentioned, I'm a speaker now. When I go speak, I typically bring my helmet so I could show people my helmet because I feel like it's more powerful when you could actually see it and feel the helmet that this is what was, this is what the bullet went through, not just my head, but it went through this too. Uh, but his name is Robert Moreno, and uh, he is—he's one of my my. I, I don't talk to him as much as I would like to because he lives in Georgia and he's got his own life. And as adults now, we have our own things that we we have to do. But we still talk all the time. I've gone hunting with him. I've gone to Disneyland with him, his family, and my whole family. So my kids got to meet got to meet Robert. And it was cool because before I wrote my book, Robert was able to tell the story to my wife and kids from his perspective 
and being there. And they got to meet the man that's responsible for their lives and for me still being here. Amazing. Uh, amazing. So um, uh, l- let me also preface, guys, that if you see Jordan's uh, skipping around, it's probably because of the Internet um, service that he's on. But uh, thankfully, we could hear him very well. Um, so, Robert. I'll try to this- say more stuff for you guys. <laughs> and we can hear your child, too, buddy. <laughs> so. Yeah, sorry that she stayed home today because she was sick. I wasn't expecting her to be as noisy as she's being. No, she's fine. She's so if you fine. actually see me moving around, it's because I'm I'm texting my wife that I'm on this podcast with you guys and I'm asking her to keep her quiet. <laughs> so let me ask you this, buddy. So jo- Robert describes sure. how literally the the he was there and he had to pack Jordan's head. Now I don't I don't want to be too graphic. The book does a great job of doing that, but literally to stop the bleeding, they had to uh, they had to literally hold his brain in um, with uh, packing to keep the hemorrhaging to a minimal level, and they could get him to the Chinook and you know medevaced to a hospital. Um, uh, it's it's so compelling, buddy. The way Robert describes it, um, and, and what he did happened. a great job. I was very yeah. proud of him. And then when you finally get to the hospital, how they had it, how they had a team of of doctors that were there to care for him to get him stabilized so that he could get what what was the next step? Was it to the Germany hospital? Landstill? Is that what it uh, is? To Longstill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, once I, once I got stabilized in Afghanistan, they transferred me to Germany to Longstill. Yeah. But actually, one of the many miracles that happened that night, because there were many, was that I got shot so quickly into that night off that the transport helicopter that brought us there was still in the area when it came over the air traffic that, I, that there was a man down, that that helicopter returned itself. So we didn't have to wait for a medevac. So I was off the ground within minutes of actually getting shot so that that played in it a part in itself that to saving my life that the aircraft never fully left the target zone so that i was able to to get picked up as quickly as i did and when you talk about packing they were actually his the 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 commander for that that night ops i don't know if it's commander it's it's army terms so Mm. Uh, he was telling Robert just to pack my head and, and leave me and just let me go. But Robert fought him on it and wouldn't let go of me. He wouldn't pack my head because he wanted us to keep me alive. So he kept his hand inside my head, like you said, holding my brain in, holding that that artery that was bleeding so I wouldn't bleed out. And he stayed with me that whole time. So him being the lead medic, he should have stayed on the ground that, that night. But he wasn't going to leave me because he was going to save me. He was determined to save my life. So he never left me. He stayed with me from the ground to the helicopter to the operating room and never left my side. So his account of that night, because I don't remember, is the full account of that night because I don't remember any of it. But he stayed with me the whole time until they had to pull him away from me. That's exactly literally. right. That's exactly right, buddy. I mean, the book, the book describes it in great, great detail. I'm telling you right now, get this book. So you get to Landstuhl. They they basically have you in a coma. 
the the they've they've done all they could, and now it was almost like a wait and see to see what part of Jordan was going to come. They back. stabilized me. They stabilized you, right? Right. You get flown back to the states um, in a C one thirty. Was it a C one thirty that I remember from the book, or was it another? I can't re- quite recall. I'm. I was. I was snoozing, so I'm not sure about yeah, my transfer I, I, back I, to the states. I can't remember exactly what the book detailed, but they fly you back to the states from from the east coast to the west coast was a C-130. We might even mixing the transports up, right, right. But I don't remember how I got back to the states. But like, like you've heard about people that are in a coma, people would ask me. I could squeeze their hands, and I could do those kind of things. So I was still there, mm-hmm. but they still weren't sure if I was going to survive or make it or not. Yeah. Yeah, they had no idea what was going to happen. I got, when he no. finally came, was first of all, was he going to come and out my, of the fog? My family, my family was right. My family was prepped that if I woke up, with an emphasis on the if I woke up, it was more likely or not that I was never going to speak again. I was never going to be able to walk again, and I would lose the use of my arm completely to my right side. There that you was go, the Prince. diagnosis that the doctors had originally given me. This guy is a walking miracle of God. Let me tell you something right now, guys. This story that you're hearing is compelling it as it is. The fact that Jordan is sitting here with his kid in the other room, with his wife babysitting, it's, it's just a miracle after miracle of what happened in this man's life. Three, right? one, get up! We got to get some. So, um, <laughs> you get back to the States, you get back to the States and they're squeezing your hand. They're asking for, you know, is he there? Jordan, if you can response. feel this yeah, response, squeeze, squeeze the hand and he'd squeeze their hand knowing that at least he had some cognizant stuff going on. Right. And then it happens. He starts waking up. He starts waking up and what happens then, Jordan? So I, this is, so I've had a lot of scary things happen to me in my life. I got shot. I've jumped out of planes. I've been, I've been in a helicopter crash. I've done a lot of scary things. The single scariest moment of my life was waking up from that coma. Was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. Last thing I remember, I was in a gunfight, and it's still, I'm still foggy even in the, in what I remember happening before that. But I woke up in a dark room by myself. I wasn't supposed to wake up from my coma yet. Typically, they they know when someone's because they pull them off of the medic medication and they'll wake up on their own. I was all by myself when I woke up in a hospital room, in a dark room by myself. I woke. I put somehow. I pushed myself out of my coma on my own. I woke up out of a medically induced coma on my own, which shouldn't have happened. But I'm sure the nurses station saw that my heart rate started bouncing around and they came in to check on me and realized, oh man, he's awake. And now without, I had tubes out of my neck. I remember trying to sit up and I couldn't because my arm is paralyzed and that was terrifying. I didn't know where I was, what happened or what, what, or what to do. I didn't know what to do. My whole body hurt. My head was hurting. And I, that was the single scariest moment of my life to this day. You, the way you describe it in the book, buddy, is, oh my God! So you wake up and literally you're you're in this dark room. You're immobile. You've got stuff all attached to you. It must have been like 
a, 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 like you were just like in a living a nightmare, right? I I, I can't even think of it. That. It, it was. Oh, I I was tr- I was trached. I had a breathing tube. I had tubes everywhere in my head. I had a helmet on my head because I didn't have a. They removed my skull. I, I didn't know what was happening to me, and I couldn't move. I was paralyzed, so I didn't know what to do. I did, I was. It was. It was. It was the most terrifying moment I'll probably ever experience. Uh, I was. You- I was helpless. So Jordan, so the nurse comes in. Was she able to calm you? Were you able to hear her? Was were you around enough out of that coma to hear her trying to calm you or anything like that? I think, I think so. I think I remember them telling me that you know, like it's okay, you're you're safe, and I remember them calming me down. But as much calming you can do for somebody that's realizing that they, you know, are in the hospital now and they've been critically wounded. Yeah. As much as somebody could calm somebody down in that moment, I'm sure they tried. Mm-hmm. But I was still pretty distraught and really confused. As much as someone could try and calm me down, I was still really confused about where I was and what was happening. I, I just imagine, friends. I mean, this guy is a. It was a athlete. Um, uh, uh, should have been a Navy SEAL, but because I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave some of the book to you guys to read, right? But yeah, let's. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, uh, he he goes through his. I got paid more than those guys did, so it's all good. (laughs) Right. So I mean, the guy was just a a walking specimen. He was a an athlete. Worked out. He was into bodybuilding and training. Um, It was a. I can't even imagine what it must have felt felt like. So that all happens. Who's the first? person that you remember coming in a family member was it a, a your your former wife what was it so anybody that follows or is military or veterans life or somebody that's been wounded might have heard of the fisher house mm-hmm. uh, it's a nonprofit that has a hotel on most va's hospitals there's a there's a, a hotel on base there and my family was staying at the fisher house so i remember my mom coming first i remember my mom getting there because they called my family at the fish house jordan woke up we need you guys to come to the hospital and come to his room this, this is all again secondhand what i've heard from them right. that my mom got to the hospital i remember her getting there and then the rest of my family showing up behind her mm-hmm. and then the doctors and staff coming in as well to kind of explain to me what happened and where i was and what was going what what to go from here what's next They told you. And that's what I remember. They told, and you remember hearing getting hearing all this. They told you that you might never walk. They told you that you'd be paralyzed. They told you that you might never speak. I, I will right? never. I will never forget. Never forget the doctors. Once my family was there, and they were telling me about what happened to me. The doctors telling me that you're never. You're not. You're probably never going to be able to walk again. All things you used to do, you're never going to get to do again. I'll never forget that. That's burned into my memory. I could see it like it happened this morning. And I, and that is, for me, I'm grateful that I have the mentality and, and mindset that I do and that I didn't let that defeat me. I took it as like a, a goal. Like it, it, now that became a goal. Like I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to show you what I'm capable of and what I what I can do. Don't tell me what I can't do. I'll, I'll show you what I can do. The spirit, and of I've let Lord. that be the lifestyle that I've carried from now on. Now on. Free five. Get up.
the spirit of a warrior. Right? I was waiting and, for some sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit of a warrior is huge. And we've heard countless stories of men, women that have been injured and uh, that spirit takes over and it took over for Jordan. And they told him that he might never walk. He told him all of the stuff that he just described. Right. And now I, I, I wish that they had told me, I wish that they had told me that I might not ever walk. And it was, you'll never walk again. Cause yeah. if they would have given me, it's possible. I could have worked with possible, but it was, you're never going to walk again. You're never, your arms, you're never going to be able to use your arm again. You're going to struggle with speech for the rest of your life. I wish it was a might, but it was, this is, they spoke to me with a fact. So they gave you zero hope, but what, what was burning inside you? Give us some inspiration, my friend, because you're a walking inspiration. What, what, what were you saying to yourself when you were hearing those words? Um, that this can't be it. This can't be, it. Mm-hmm. this can't be how my life goes. This isn't the legacy I want to leave behind. My son was two at the time. So I really wanted to just, I wanted, I wanted to be a dad again, mm-hmm. like forget being a soldier and fighting again. I wanted to be a dad again. So I, I had to completely realign my priorities in my life and what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I had to completely adjust and it took a long time to get to a point. I say it like it was easy, but it was a, it was an adjustment to, to decide what kind of person I was going to be. I'm not going to be this war fighter anymore. What do I value now? What do I value about myself? Mm-hmm. I only saw myself as the athlete, the special forces guy. I only saw myself as that guy, but now that I lost all of those, what am I, what do I have now? What's my value now? And so now then I had to re- reevaluate what kind of man I was going to be and what kind of father I was going to be. And it was just a complete adjustment of, of my self-image and what my life was going to look like. Hmm. Jordan. Wow. Powerful. So things start coming back, friends. Things start happening in his body. Things start happening with his brain. And the doctors, I, I, I can't even imagine what they must have looked like when they heard... So, or saw you writing. I mean, he had a notebook, and because of the trach uh, uh, wound in his in his throat, he would write things. So they saw him being able to write, so he could comprehend, he could think. They saw him being able to have skills of being able to write. Right, that must have been surprising to them, just Please at that skip. time. Go ahead, Jordan. The big surprise. The big surprise, and we'll keep this more family friendly. Uh, after the doctors told me what my what I wasn't going to be capable of doing anymore, I responded with, "Get the f out of my room." And it's it's funny looking back, or in that moment, I you know that's not a polite thing to say, but at the same time, it was probably a relief for my family that okay, Jordan's still going to be the same guy, mm-hmm. still has attitude. And I was, I was angry, but I, but so I was able to speak over the trick, which was a shock to them in the first place. Cause typically they have a cap you could put on the end of it and then you could speak through it. Cause then it pushes the air through your windpipes, but I was strong enough to be able to push the wind past it and through it anyways. And it surprised everybody. So then I had, then they got me the iPad. So I didn't have to try and speak so hard. Mm-hmm. I can just use the iPad and 
putting sentences. To, so I, I was able to put words together, but then when I was putting sentences together, that in itself was another blown the thing that they were blown away by that I shouldn't be able to do. Absolute miracle. Absolute miracle. Rick, I mean, uh, what are you feeling, buddy, when you're hearing this story? I, I'm just going, wow. I'm I'm thinking of Freddie Torres. <laughs> yeah, Freddie Torres. Yeah, we have a guy. with next week. And, Jordan, uh, we're going to have you at the Honorable, buddy. You're going to go into our locker rooms and and tell this story, I buddy. I've heard about it, this Honorable so many times. I want to be a part of that. And, no, and you know what? What's, what's interesting is like 23 minutes north of you, is American Fork, Utah? Have oh, yeah. Heard of that place? Yeah. American Fork was in the honor two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's. Yeah, you coach. guys just had Provo there too, didn't you? Yeah, yes. we did. Yes. No, I'm, I was going to get to that, Rick. I was going to oh, get to I'm that. I'm sorry. I'm leading up to what he does now. Oh. Right? <laughs> so, uh, so, Jordan, you start recovering. You start, uh, you're a miracle. You're a miracle. The doctors are amazed. You're able to speak. You're able to 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 comprehend. You're able to uh, do. I mean, they're just looking at you like you're some. What? Who is this guy? Right. And then they start. And teaching. to this to this day, a lot of them can't explain it. Right. Yeah. Right. Then you start being able to walk. Something that they gave you no hope on, right? Explain that, but no hope. No hope. So I, I originally originally I was I started walking with a cane first, but one of the things I talk about when I speak is is that we forget about little things when we're when we're trying to progress. Mm-hmm. When we see ourselves every day, we don't always see the little wins, the little victories that we get every day. We don't see those. So for me, I've made it a point to try and find those little wins that I get every day. So for me, when I was able to stand next to my bed unassisted, just hanging on to the side rails of my hospital bed, that was a huge win for me. And that was a very small thing. Mm. You know, most of us, we take, we, people walk around and get up out of bed, no problem. But for me, that was a really big win for me. That was a big deal. So it started with just little things like that of just being able to make little progressions from there to being able to stand up, to transferring to the wheelchair on my own to wheeling myself from my hospital room down to the physical therapy room in the hospital in Palo Alto, wheeling myself down to the physical therapy room to do my own exercises. So little, and then I, I, so it's all started with the little thing. And then I just kept building on the little things until the little things became big things. And then now I'm working on even bigger and bigger and bigger things. And that progression will never stop until I you got two get sums on that one, buddy. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, so deserving, so deserving, my friend. I mean, it's just a power of, I mean, the, your book title is perfect, unstoppable. Nothing was going to stop you. And uh, an amazing thing. Okay, so I want to go fa- a little more fast forward. He walks. Yeah, the, the unfortunate part about my book is that it makes it sound like it was an easy process, but it has not been an easy process. It's been a very long process how many years has it been jordan to get to where i'm at now we're uh, i got shot december 16th of 2011 so, so it's 12 been years 12 years 12 years right. that you or 13 12 13, 13 years yeah 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 no we're it's right there so um 12 years. Yeah. okay so you recover 
you get back to as normal of a life as you can, right? Tell us the story of the leg. What led up to the leg? Yeah, the first thing people see when they see me is that I, I wear a prosthetic leg. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. And that's the first thing that people see is that I don't have a leg. So immediately people are like, oh, what how, you must have got blown up. And I'm like, I don't know, I actually got shot in the head. And they, it never coordinates like, well, if it's your head, then why is your leg gone? Mm -hmm. And my brain injury, I lost the use of my right arm, my right leg as a result of my brain injury, very similar to a stroke. So when I was, when I would rehab walking, I would break my ankle and I would have to heal the broken ankle and ligaments before I could start rehabbing walking again. And then when I was started learning, doing rehab for walking and what mobility, I would break it again. I was just this cycle of breaking it, peeling that rehab, breaking it again. And it was just a, this vicious cycle of trying to just get better so I could practice walking. And I have friends in the military, you know, that are all amputees. So I had guys that didn't have any legs that got around better than me on both of mine. So finally I talked to the doctors and I was like, there's got to be something we could do for my leg to help me out. And they originally wanted to fuse my foot so that I, I, it wouldn't move at all. And then I wouldn't break it, but then it wouldn't move. Then that limits me on all the things I still wanted to do in my life. I want to, I wanted to walk still. I still wanted to, I still have the idea that I'm going to run again someday. Mm -hmm. I snowboard, I, I cycle. I coach my kids soccer teams and I coach high school sports now and, if I had fused my foot, I, those are things that I would be limited to do. So with prosthetics now, with the mobility of my prosthetic, there's so many more things that I can that I could do now. Mm -hmm. So right. January of 2016, I chose to amputate my leg below the knee, so that I could I could have that stability and mobility in my ankle without fear of breaking it, and I could work on my rehab with my mobility and walking without the fear of hurting myself. Amazing, amazing. And now, so, my, and my kids, my kids think it's cool. I think it looks cool. <laughs> well, when I first met you, um, uh, I was one of those guys that was surprised. I, I, I didn't put it all together because you told me that you were shot in the head, but then I see, you see the prosthetic and it's, it's hard to equate what happens, but the book describes it in detail, what led to it, but that the, the, the losing of your leg was a completely other thing that came because then you start having these phantom <laughs> pains. He starts getting these phantom. And that was my leg was self-inflicted. It was self-inflicted, and but it was going to make his life better. But getting to that point was very tough because um, when you hear this story from people that have lost limbs. There's a, that your body thinks that the foot is still there. Your body thinks that the arm is still there, right? And it sets off these phantom nerve triggers through your, your, your brain or your body. And Jordan definitely had that. Jordan, maybe describe a little bit about what you went through when it came to that, because it led to another thing that you had to overcome. Right. The, the idea that. I wouldn't have the problems with my foot anymore if I got it amputated was glamorous. Like this idea was awesome. I was not prepared for the, the phantom pain and the, the struggle that was going to come with the amputation. The eventual goal that it would get better was, was what I had in mind when it happened to me or when I decided to cut it off. But the, that, the first three months, three to four months after I amputated my leg was, was one of the most painful 
experiences of my life to the point I had I hadn't cried after my injuries yet. All the re all the from all the hospitals I went to for my brain injury, I had never cried. This was the life I was going to live, and I was just going to tough it out and be strong because that's that was my mindset. It wasn't until I got my leg amputated that I was in so much pain and I was struggling so bad that me and my wife went back to the surgeons and like, what can we do to help me? Because this pain is overwhelming to the point that this is going to make me want to quit. Forget the being paralyzed. This pain is going to make me want to quit. And they they got to the point where they were talking about putting in a, a permanent epidural into my back that would block the signal completely. And that was going to be, but I didn't want that. So we, we tried medication first and I was on 90 milligrams of morphine three times a day, which is a very, very high dose. And it's, I don't like having to use medication, but that, that relief from that pain has saved my life. Cause that was brutal. Mm-hmm. So for anybody, I, I didn't understand what phantom pain was. I do now. Mm-hmm. And I, and through that experience, I know what it is, but it was, it was awful. I couldn't feel before I got my leg amputated. I couldn't feel my toes. I couldn't feel my leg at all. When I would break my ankle, I couldn't feel it. I wouldn't know I broke it until it got swollen. So I had no feeling in that leg because I was paralyzed. But it was once it was amputated and my brain was trying to figure out what happened, I could tell you which toe hurt and what it felt like. It was it was the weirdest experience I've ever had. And it's it's hard to explain it if you haven't felt it. So in order to combat that, he talked briefly about it. There was a, a lot of medical stuff that he was doing to to ease the pain, the discomfort, right? Which led into a whole other story with Jordan. Let me tell you guys, this guy's story is absolutely amazing. Jordan, I, I, I can't thank you enough for for coming on and being on our podcast because, uh, buddy, you've been a friend for years um i've followed your story i just want to come on and get all these compliments <laughs> i've followed your story buddy and i've loved you i think the last time i saw you we were at a gas station i was i was getting gas at an arco That's station right. <laughs> i was getting gas and there was jordan getting filled up right by me and we ended up hugging and loving on each other but i gotta tell you bro friends get this book unstoppable it will captivate you it's an amazing read um from an amazing man a warrior a true warrior a hero in my eyes right so i just got to let people know what also happened was after all of this stuff that jordan went through he ends up running again he ends up doing athletic stuff again I mean, the guy is literally a walking miracle, but there's something that you say in the book that I just kind of wanted to touch on. And you said this, you said military was like playing on an athletic field. You have a season oh, and then you have an for off me. season, right? What, what, what do you mean by that in regards right. to explain that to our listeners? So I look at, Let's say let's take professional football for an example. Mm-hmm. During the off season, they're studying the playbook and they're they're practicing their form and going to you know tight end camps and quarterback camps that I've seen you know Kittle and other quarterbacks do during their off season. So for me in the military, I'm practicing shooting. I'm practicing all those things that I'm going to do when I deploy. And deployment is my season that I'm preparing for. 
So the off season is just my preparation for that season of deployment. I, I, I'm getting stronger. I, where I, I'm getting better. I, you hearing that and reading that, it was just like, wow, that is that is a great way of looking at it. So what are you doing now, Jordan? What what's your path now, buddy? <laughs> well, like you said already, I I, I really enjoy speaking and, and getting in my story out and talking to people. Uh, the reason I wrote this book and got started speaking was November of 2021. My on that deployment, there was two Navy bomb guys, Navy EOD techs like me on that Ranger team. And my partner, November 2022, killed himself. And after I got that word, it it, it broke me. And I felt like I experienced survivor's guilt as much as it's defined. Is that what could I have done to say to help him? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why him? Why, why did I survive and lose my friend? Mm-hmm. So then I felt like I needed to do more. I needed to be a bigger voice to reach out to those guys to make that phone call that I didn't make to Chief Cooper. So that me speaking and writing my book is my phone call back to Cooper to to check on him. This isn't the platform I want to build so that I could still be part of my military team. And contribute to my military team and this is my avenue to do that so this is why i'm speaking and i wrote my book this is so that's what i want to do now is is be an advocate and a voice to my to my brothers and sisters that are still serving or have served and to to, to, to be a platform and a voice for them and for him and i want to make i still want to be part of that team then this is my avenue to do that Freedom. and also another part of that is I think I have an opportunity to, to still be a, a, a positive impact in my community. And I still, I might not be able to run track anymore and do the things that I did in college, but I could teach it and I'm good at it. So I coach at my, the Maple Mountain High School that, I'm, that, my, that I live near now. I coach here now. And so now not only am I trying to be an influence still in my veteran community, I'm trying to be an influence in my community as a whole. So I'm, I'm coaching and doing as much as I can there. I'm speaking on Friday for Veterans Day at the middle school in, in Mapleton, Utah. And I'm doing what I can to still try and be a voice and, and be helpful and be part of my team. I love it, Jordan. We, we, I got, I can't say enough. Um, he talked about his chief by the name of Steve Cooper. And uh, there's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why God gave you another day. And I tell people like this all the time that especially the wounded guys that are going through some rough times, right? Because we all go through, right? But um, survivor's guilt, PTSD, TBI, all of that is real. It is extremely real. And these guys feel it. And to know that you're out there, Jordan, um, carrying on the mission when these guys couldn't or or, or had so much going on in their minds that they just couldn't anymore, right? You are that guy. You are that voice. God's given you that gift. And so I, I just got to tell you, buddy, uh, you're an inspiration to us. We love you. And uh, whatever we could do to support you and help you, we're going to be doing I, that. And so I want to capitalize on that, on this yes. topic, if you don't mind. Yes. So I try to explain to people what, what war is like. And for me, it should be scary. War should be something that's scary to do. These people are trying to kill you. But 
in a weird way, it's not scary because you have this support team around you that I know is going to do anything they can, in their power to save my life and to keep me around. And I'm, I'm a testament of that, that they did everything they could to keep me here. So war wasn't scary. So now that we're back in the States, it's scary for a lot of guys because we don't have that team or support around us anymore. That's right. So I'm trying to still be, I joined the military to make an impact and to be a part of something big. And so now this is my, like I said, this is my way to still be a part of that team. And I want to be that support network for people. I don't want to help build that support network for guys that are struggling because when you have that team and that support network, it's not scary. Like looking at my recovery, it was, was scary, but because I had such a good support network through my family and my friends, mm-hmm. it was easier for me. So for those guys that don't have that support network, I want to try and be that support network for them still. So they're not alone. So we're, we're still part of the team so that they're not, they don't have to be scared. And that, that, that I want that to branch even outside of my military community into my community with the kids that I work with is that I'm there for them, that I'm, I'm somebody that they can rely on still that might, these young kids can, can vent to me and come to me when they're struggling and I can help them out. If that makes any sense to you guys. Makes total sense. My friend, total Total sense. sense. The man's name is Jordan Stevenson. The book is unstoppable. Unstoppable. Get this. I'm sure it's available on Amazon. Um, but really, it's, yes, sir. It's, it's for Veterans Day. If you uh, want to support a good man, a man that's doing great things for the veteran community in honor of Veterans Day, go out and get this book. Unstoppable. Jordan, thank you, buddy. And if I don't say it, my publisher will get upset. If you get if you get a copy, please. I I, I appreciate all the support that anyone gives me. Uh, but if you do, if you wouldn't mind leaving just a little a review for me on on Amazon, if you pick it up off Amazon, I would I would really appreciate it. And I, I love all the support, all the support I get, I pay it forward, and I, I try to do the best I can to pay the support that I get forward and continue to support my team and the guys around me. So thanks for everyone. People I get here, people tell me a lot that they wish they would have served and that they didn't get to serve, but. What they don't understand from a veteran's perspective is that the support that we receive from you and our communities around us is serving. That is your military, your military service is serving us. And, and as a veteran, I can't tell you that how our community. Wow. 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 (laughs) Awesome. 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 Jordan, we love you, buddy. God bless you. Hey, have a blessed veterans day. Have a blessed Veterans Day. Um, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Hey, uh, let me just give you a little more about who we have coming up on the show. But our next podcast is going to be with Marcus Chichilli and Freddie Torres. You may not know those names, but you're going to get to know these guys because these are the guys that for the past 10 years have been going in our locker rooms during the honorable doing the moto talks. You're going to get to hear their stories a little bit about what they talk about when they go in those locker rooms. So we're pretty excited about sharing that with you because it's really only something the kids that are in the honorable and the, uh, uh, the athletes and the coaches here, but you're going to hear it here on this podcast. So God bless you. Thank you, Jordan. Once again, Rick, have a great day. Buddy. Thank you guys. God bless. Bye. Take care, boys.